0: Chapter Twenty Five. Wednesday, twelve seventeen GMT minus eight. Wait for the season one to cast good counsels upon subsiding passion. An insistent voice calls from behind Kali's back. Yo, Kali, you got a minute? Shit, Kali thinks. I'm not even through the door, and somebody's already caught me on the slack line. He turns around to see who's so avidly interested in his attention. Coordinator he says. Didn't expect to find you here. I thought you'd still be mulling over what happened in the lab. She gives him the civil distance of a snake handler. That squishy social frill that keeps people all fake and nicey-nice. We'll have to wait for another time. Or another human being. Look, Chief, she says. I just wanted you to know that I was on the box with House and I put in for a little help on this field ops that's coming up. What? Kali says. I put in a request for some House aiders to meet up at the contact point, coordinator says. Kali can feel the blood rush to his face. Oh, he says. So you just went ahead and arranged for the cavalry, huh? Is that it? I don't know if you've been paying much attention to anything here in Newtown, but we've been doing a pretty damn good job of holding our own around here for some time. So no thanks to you and your cronies. Coordinator extends her hands in front of her, sweeping her arms from side to side, in a motion intended to convey a clearing of the way. Hey now, she says. If you think your people can handle the firepower those ghoulies might have racked away in the woods, by all means, be my guests. God damn it, lady, Kali says. You are a living, breathing example of why I left the collective when I did. You know the whole idea at the beginning was to help, right? Well, helping means consultation, not dictation. You're nothing but a bunch of mid-level bureaucrats with cool sounding titles pretending to be doing something important. Never even a thought for anybody outside your small circle of self-interested decision makers. The collective was supposed to be different, remember? What the hell happened to that? Self-interested, Coordinator says incredulously, losing her temper. You better look pretty hard in the mirror sometime if you're going to throw around that kind of bullshit, big boy. I'm offering help that I, for one, do not believe you can do without, and all you can see is your own judgments, your own history, your own failures. You got that much of a beef with collectives? Well, fuck you. If you want us to leave you weak motherfuckers to take it in the ass, then so be it. I'll go rescind the call. She steps around him and moves toward the door. Collie watches the tall woman swing past, and in that instant, what he wants most is to see her out the door, gone, better off without him. But the minority choice of reason overrules the din of his anger. He reaches out and grabs Coordinator by the shoulder. Hey, wait, he says. And then suddenly finds himself arcing through the air, forcing himself into a contortionist posture so he can regain his feet without ending up flat on his back. Even so, his shoulders brush the floor as he vaults backward into a handspring that returns him to his feet. Coordinator turns on him in a fighting stance, livid. Don't you ever touch me, she steams, shaking off the anger that has flooded her head and extending a warning arm toward his chest. Nobody touches me. All right, Kali says. Okay, okay. Point taken. He backs away and brushes dirt from the shoulder of his shirt. Apologize, all right? That was uncalled for. No need to unload on you like that, it's just... There's a lot of history of bad feelings about the Collective here in Newtown. Coordinator 2 is regaining her composure, worried, from her point of view, that she's just knocked around the leader of their principal on-site ally. Look, Kali, she says, trying to make amends. You're not all wrong about the Collective. I'm clear on that. There are not many people at my level in the organization who haven't had, or aren't currently having, problems with our internal processes. Maybe you need to think of me as the enemy, but things are in a state of flux, not just here. Up at house, there's a lot of effort going into reassessing what we're all about, and I think we both know that I am no diplomat. Kali smiles and starts to say something, but she raises a hand to stop him. Rhetorical device. You know what I mean. Her heart rate is once again nearing normal. Kali has sorted himself out, finding nothing broken, just a serious bruise to his vanity. He points toward a pair of chairs across the room. Can we sit and talk for a minute? Who's your teacher? That was a beautifully executed counter. I wasn't expecting it little Korean dude named Kwon Kim. Coordinator lets that out as she's sitting down. House brings him in for all the coordinator trainings. Tiny guy. Looks like one of those dried German Christmas apples. Shrunk up, wrinkly. Look, I'm sorry about throwing you around. She's wearing a chagrined smile. Honestly, much a surprise to me as anyone. Kali nods and shakes his head. Hey, everybody's got different issues of personal space, he acknowledges. Just maybe yours are a little more stringent than most. He feels a spur of urgency prod him. Look, now that we've gotten that out of the way... I might as well hear you out." Coordinator finds herself thinking that maybe he's more interesting than she thought. She plants both palms firmly on her knees and leans toward him. "'If you say so,' she says. Here's what we got. Wednesday, 1301, GMT-8." Still is increasingly convinced that noise is the principal product of what these creatures call modern life. On the lab floor downstairs, a flutter of white-coated workers shuffles material from one place to another in a bizarre and beautiful dance of pipettes, solutions, centrifuges. Still recalls one of Rafe's memories about the behavior of bees, the odd and significant dance of the drones who return to the hive and give their uncannily precise instructions to the others. A thought strikes him, and he cocks his head in the fashion of a dog, struck suddenly curious by something new. But the hive, at least, is in genuine communication, he thinks to himself. These workers are simply alone, interpreting the external signals the only way they are able. How do they stand it? Beyond all the other adaptive challenges Still has confronted, this one stands out. Among the long bones, none of this chaos would be necessary. The common mind eliminates the need for all these pointless conversations, the contrived mess of verbal exchange. A feeling of wistfulness, emptiness, latches onto Still's stomach. This aloneness is vexing. It is tiresome, cumbersome, inefficient to have to talk in order to communicate. It took ten years to recruit and train the Colombian and secret Venezuelan cadres. In the beginning, they were as hopeless as Kohler. In the end, they understood, but now they're dead. Why would any creature choose this life if another option were presented? But that option is almost present again, he thinks, turning to descend the stairs down into the main lab. Still has to admit to himself that the cult of the individual is strong. He looks at the lab staff as they pass around him, wondering at how the shortwalkers glory in their isolation. Amazing. And yet they wonder why there is such struggle among them, such animosity and hatred. A stunning lack of understanding. How could it be otherwise when each person believes themselves a monument to uniqueness? Further proof, they are ripe for conquest. As he works his way through the forest of file cabinets toward the opposite side of the clean room, another, more positive observation about his present circumstance crowds its way to the front of his consideration. Well, he muses with an inward smile at the irony of it, at least none of them knows what I'm thinking. A small indentation in one masonry wall signals the entry to the special projects area. Still stands on the rotating pad and waits for his palm print and ocular scan to cycle through. Kohler was exceptionally thorough when it came to security. Once the system has verified his identity, he is rotated into an alcove on the backside of the seemingly solid wall. Within this cleanroom airlock, 30 seconds of light-wave gas emission and sonic detox ensure that he poses no danger to the tissues and biomass inside. Once the delivery cycle is complete, Still pushes through the positive pressure door and into the special projects area. A tall woman is waiting inside to greet him. Good to see you, sir, she says. I suppose you're here to see how the final preparations are going, Still nods. I believe the last plat runs for conformity are ready. He says, Correct, sir, if you'll follow me. Everyone on all the crews, front room and secret project that is well acquainted with Dr. Kohler knows he is uninterested in idle social chit chat. All business, all the time. He's overheard some of the staff referring to him as the machine. The lab technician watches his reflection in her glasses. Rafe knew what they said about him, knew they likened him to a cyborg. He always liked it. Besides, still reflects with a bit of grim humor the majority of them won't live long enough to have their opinions matter at all. The visit takes less than five minutes. All the data agree. There's nothing left to do but a live trial of the herb. Time to check the other arrangements. Still passes out of the biohazard area and into the gray zone of the rest of the lab. He walks over to the north entrance and out into the damp air, crossing over to the security depot in a few long, purposeful strides. As he steps through the heavy outer doors, it captures his interest that while the security procedures for gaining entry to the inner reaches of the lab are multi-layered and redundant, it only takes a voice command and keypad to get the security depot's weapons cache. No doubt about where Kohler placed his priorities. Below ground, in the bowels of his security division headquarters, it is all business. One wall is lined with automatic weapons, grenade launchers, all manner of armaments. The automated world of the Shortwalkers has made amazing headway in the science and technology of murder, still acknowledges. Amazing what money can buy. Two other walls are covered floor to ceiling with graphic data ranging from satellite images of specific geographic regions to topo overlay and spectral data imaging. Portland and Seattle are detailed both as street maps and as population distribution and asset placement layouts. This area, the immediate surroundings of the lab complex, is also portrayed both in still pictures, topo complete with natural resource density overlays, and infrared live feed. The remaining wall holds racks of resource material and a library of utility manuals. What I could do with this technology and a cadre of longbone warriors, Dill thinks. What a difference between this and reports from the scouts or the overflight distance viewing, using birds as allies. For the moment, the woodlands and canyons that surround the facility are empty of any but the denizens native to them. The remote sentry patrols show up as glowing clumps of movement that look like flowing lava on the IR screen. No one else is around but they will be. He can feel them, planning. can sense the fever of urgency emanating from them. He knows they are going to come, hunting. The only question is when. His resources in Newtown have heard nothing of a plan, not a mention of his name. Silence. But a well-trained and disciplined enemy would not let anything leak, would they, still muses. I wouldn't. At least the diversion has been ordered. One well-placed murder could provide considerable benefits. If that part of the plan, that small manipulation goes well, a considerable delay could result. What can be done is being done. He rubs a hand across his chest, sore muscles. Bringing this body into something akin to good physical shape is an effort not entirely free of pain, but then Rafe has a unique appreciation for suffering. He turns his attention away from the surveillance monitors and moves toward the stairs. A cramp hitches his left calf, tormenting his step, but the discomfort doesn't distract him from the main thrust of thinking. There's plenty left to do in preparation for the trial, the ritual, the beginning. Let them come, he nods to himself. Just not too soon. Wednesday, 1440, GMT-8. Answer compresses himself into as small a space as possible worming his way into a niche between a bookshelf and the closet, a space obviously intended as storage for objects considerably narrower than he is. It takes a little doing, but he manages. Safe enough here to take the risk of being stuck, and the feeling of closeness reminds him of childhood. Collie is directing traffic. "'Grab a seat anywhere,' he says. He can see the room will barely hold the dozen or so people he's expecting. Tom Jarvis, Newtown security chief, walks in. "'Not exactly a convention hall, huh?' he says. Nah, Polly grimaces, lifting a corner of the table and shifting it into a place that will let people pass alongside to get at the chair stacked by the wall. You know how it is, Tom. Just enough to get by. Coordinator steps into the meeting room, spots Answer hunkered down, and steps over to a seat at the table opposite him. As the room fills, she looks directly at him, considering what it is she's really seeing. He looks childlike, almost comical. She wonders if he has any sense of humor about himself, sitting there as if hiding in plain sight. Answer watches the traffic. Luz got herself a prime seat by the door. Kali looks like he's going to be at the head of the table. The square-headed guy Tom looks more like an intellectual than a security chief. Probably used to be a civics teacher or some other shit. Luz sits against the wall watching the hands of each person who walks in. It's a game she has learned to play in cities. Away from the country where all hands are dedicated in some way to labor, it amuses her to see if she can guess what a person does simply by looking at the hands. Something like her grandmother's predictions based on feet. There are complications. Here, a woman might have her hands calloused as those of a potato picker, but the free time available for sport can cause one to misread the cause. She watches Kali carefully. No one calls him Sir or refers to him by any title, but it is clear that his authority here is great. Good. He has the ability to attract the loyalty he shows. He walks his path. In all, there are more than a dozen people at the table when Kali calls the meeting to order. He scans the room. Apart from Hedda, Answer, Luz, and Coordinator, there are Tom Jarvis from Security, his deputy Marsha, and her new baby, Lechkoff, whose real name nobody will probably ever know, the best armorer in town, Beth Nash from Public Transport and Wilton Greaves, full-time base unit inventor, and the only engineer in Newtown Collie thinks is as competent as he himself to fix shit on the fly. It's no particular surprise that Pillhead John is missing. Timeliness is not exactly the man's strong suit. So, <clears <throat> Kali clears his throat and begins. By now, all of you have heard what's been discovered during our interrogation exercise on the subject from Colombia. Despite the fact that the subject is Caucasian, there's been a substantial change in his DNA, and he IDs physically from an indigenous group unknown until now. Kali can see by the expressions that this assumption is more or less correct. The majority of those present do seem informed. All right, he continues, looking around the room. We're here together now to formulate a response to what I can only characterize as a very serious threat, not only to our community, but to civil society as a whole. Marcia shifts the tiny infant in her lap. Your message was encrypted and said that this was a closed meeting, her soft voice carries in the small space, so I take it the information you sent me about this cult and everything is not public. That's right, Collie nods. We're hoping we can marshal the necessary response to eliminate this threat. If we can quickly and quietly remove the elements of this cult, there will be no need to let the majority of the folks know it ever existed. That's why we're here now. For the time being, our best play is to keep this a closely held secret, and only the few of you here, and those you choose to bring into the project, will know what's going on. It's important to be aware that the technologies we have developed in response to this threat are themselves very sensitive," Heda adds. That is why the security aspects of this response team are essential. No leaks. Lechkov, a bird-like skeleton of a man, sits watching his fingers quarrel among themselves in his lap. What size force are we going to need to make this, uh, encounter a success? He mumbles the question to his top button. We might want to keep in mind that we've only got so many people with experience in conflict. What sort of weapon stores for close fighting do we have? Kali asks. Lechkoff raises his head, rolls the disproportionately wide skull idly from side to side. I worry, Carl. His tone is flat, which oddly conveys a certainty that is inexplicably reassuring. We got plenty. There's an unusually long span between words, one of his idiosyncrasies. Of weapons. Like I said, the main problem is going to be finding enough people to use them right? Maybe, coordinator raises her voice to join the conversation, it would be helpful to know that I have arranged for a handful of thugs and snipes to jump in and give us a hand up, Tom interrupts, his voice oozing irritation. Did it occur to you, coordinator, that we might want to handle this by ourselves? Time is not on your side, coordinator says flatly, and if I'd waited for a consultation, we'd be behind the curve right now. From what we know there's not a hell of a lot of room for consultative fucking around so if you want to begin shitting on that short stick of time right now finding consensus keeping it all warm and fuzzy be my guest i guess she hesitates and then raises the bridge of thumb and forefinger to scratch her eyebrows i've said this before and i will say it one more time if what you all really want is to get your asses kicked out of sheer pride i won't stand in your way our people can skip on and by this graveyard and let you handle it with pumped up pride It's a bluff, since she's already pulled the trigger on the operation. God damn it. Tom is pissed, leaning across the table. You self-righteous pricks. Why do you think no one in this room wants anything to do with you people? Tom, relax. Collie's voice fills the room with a tone as cool and unruffled as he feels. He looks at Coordinator. You got some real starch, don't you? He says. He can't let a smile betray his feelings, but he is amused. No screwing around, this girl. No matter what any of us think of her. He remembers floating through the arc of a somersault only a short time earlier. His appraisal of her has evolved considerably. She'll go it alone if we refuse their help. She'll pretend to let us fuck off and take it in the ass, but that is never going to happen. He can smell the decisiveness at arm's length. She gets the message. And Tom's right, she is a real prick. But she is decisive. Look, Collie says, turning toward Tom. Coordinator and I have talked about the advisability of bringing in some professionals to help us out when things start coming down. You're certainly justified in your suspicions not a lot of good vibes have been coming our way from the Collective." He eyes the room, and senses the depth of discomfort any suggestion of Alliance, no matter how transitory or useful, with the demon that the Collective seems to represent, is not limited to Newtown's security people. I had, and still have, like most of you, serious reservations about taking any help from Coordinator and her people. His eyes lock with each of the participants for just a moment. After all, he says, what do we have to pay for this help? However, it seems to me that if we go it alone, with what we know about the security measures and level of force these people have at their disposal, Coordinator may be right. We could get real bloodied out there. So from where I sit, the question is, do we take the help we've been offered, or take our chances alone? And ultimately, I don't really think that's much of a question. Do you? No one says anything, but the sense of compression that had pressed on all the participants in the planning room seems somehow to have lifted, and the direction of urgency subtly shifts. Within a few minutes, during which there are pointed exchanges between Coordinator, Kali, and others that reveal the ongoing sense of deep unease at having this one-off as their solution, the group has resettled into smaller planning nodes, each dedicated to laying out and enacting a specific part of the assault plan. Answer stirs himself, easing his way free from the constraints imposed by his tight observation post. He unfolds, standing for a moment as he stretches to let the blood find the remote corners of his body. Everyone except Answer and Luz are involved in some aspect of the strategic discussions, In a few seconds, answer is by the door. With the exception of Luz, no one notices as he slips out into the hallway beyond the conference room. But she's already waiting for him in the breezeway. "'You're going?' she says. "'It is as much an observation of fact as a question,' Answer nods. "'Take this with you.' She holds out the small bag taken from beneath the Shaman Ramon's body. "'It was meant for you. I have seen it. This dream I told no one else.' Answer keeps his hands down. "'What am I supposed to do with that?' he asks." "'Do you know?' Luz shakes her head. "'I know in the dream the old man gave me these things, and then I gave them to you. There is nothing more to say. I have seen myself putting the bag in your hand. What you do with the knife, the root, and the mirror, that's a puzzle only you can solve.' Answer looks into the implacable blackness of her eyes, searching for anything held back. "'But Luz...' She shakes her head, takes his right hand, and places the small sack in his palm. "'You have things to do,' she says. "'I will see you soon.' It is yours now. She turns and slips back through the doors into the conference room. Answer stands alone, rubbing the soft, doe-skin packet with a thumb, listening to the industrial music that is building systems' ambient hum. E-flat. Neon tubes always hum in the key of E. He begins walking, each successive step carrying him further from the muffled discussion of survival leaking from between the conference room's closed doors. He's halfway down the steps, leaving the building... Absorbed in his own thoughts, when two men step onto the stairway. "'Sorry,' he blurts as he steps aside for them. Then he recognizes one of them. "'Oh, hey. Pill, right? How's it going?' "'It's all good, man.' Pillhead John Scowls, just looking for Collie. They still in that consult room? "'Uh, yeah,' Answer nods. Still there, working on stuff. "'You out, what, taking the air?' Pill appraises Answer as he brushes by. Answer shrugs as he steps around Pill and the other man on his way down the stairs. "'Yeah, something like that,' he says.' getting some air. See you later. He turns and begins making his way down toward the water. In the distance, he can see the wind shifting, pushing massive clouds inland. He feels a light breeze kicking up a river gorge. He starts to lope, and after a quarter mile or so, settles into a running rhythm. A lot to do. No time to waste. He points his stride at the docks and quickens his step. Down at the base of the transport area, he seeks out the first water taxi he can find. The operator is reading on a thin laptop, a piece of technology out of place and long out of date. Hey, you take cash? Answer asks. The operator looks up quizzically. Plenty of folk up in here don't like the credit trail, he says with a slight smirk. Destination, I'll price it. Upriver Columbia, answer says with a nod. Troutdale. Old pre-VTOL port. Yeah, I know it, the operator says. He names a price, and answer unwinds the sum from a roll of paper cash. The operator counts it and stuffs it into a pocket, powering down the laptop. On board, then, he says, stepping over the gunwale. She's your home away from home for an hour, so head is optional off the back. Answer follows him onto the riverboat and sits near the stern as she powers up and pushes forcefully into the current. Thanks for listening, and please join us next week for Chapter 26 of Criminal Magic. If you are enjoying the story, please leave a rating and review of the podcast, and we'll see you back here next time.